I'm going to be teaching something that I have taught before, but it is more of a Christmas-focused message. So if you want, I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, but you can be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And then after I pray, I will introduce our text and we'll have some time in the Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for the ability we have to gather together and to worship and to fellowship and to do it all with no fear of persecution or true threats to us. I thank you, Lord, that you've brought us to be a part of the body here at Lakeside where we can be encouraged week after week and where we can be fed from your word. And I pray that today will be no different. Pray that this morning as I talk from Matthew about Christmas that you would help us to center our minds on the true reality and importance of Jesus' birth. I also pray that you would help us to prepare our hearts for tonight's Christmas uh, music program. Lord, it's going to be a great time and a celebration. I just pray that you would prepare our hearts so that we approach it not from a point of entertainment, but from what it truly is, a, a time to worship and glorify you. So we love you, Lord. We pray that today would be a good day with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text that I'm going to be dealing with is in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1. And I'm specifically dealing with verses 18 to 25. And these are verses that I've actually, over the years, in my 10 plus years of teaching faith builders, I've taught on this a few different times. And as I think about my own heart, Christmas is a good and distracting time. Why do I say good? Because I like Christmas. I like it when our tree goes up. I like it when we have lights on our house. There's something about this time of year that I think people seem to be nicer across the board everywhere. People are happy. Now, of course, people are also very greedy at this time of year, but it just is a pleasant time. And I know for us, having the opportunity to get together with family and to see various relatives, it's just a great, it's a great time. But it's easy for me to get distracted from what is the point of Christmas. In fact, I would submit that in America proper, Jesus is really not a part of Christmas anymore. He is, but he isn't. You know, people see a manger scene and a little baby out in their front yard or in the nativity around their house. But in the popular culture, it's just bulldozed by advertisements and by commercialism. And so for us, it's good to be reminded even if we're familiar with a certain text, even if we're familiar with these things, it's good to be reminded why we're celebrating. And it seemed, in light of the fact that I needed to teach something other than First Peter, it seemed like an appropriate thing to do. And I checked with Pastor Steve, and this isn't the text he's teaching on for Christmas, so I'm not messing up his Christmas message. So follow along with me as I read a very familiar account that it, some Bibles would even say it's the conception and birth of Jesus. I'm going to begin at verse 18 and go all the way through verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. From a historical standpoint, very few people that attend a church like Lakeside regularly have not heard an account like that. But for us this morning, I want to get past the familiarity, and if you've taken notes in the past, you probably perhaps have some notes like this, but I'm just going to give you three things to remember to keep a proper focus on Jesus during this Christmas season. Three things to remember this Christmas season to keep a proper focus on Christ. And the first thing that I want to highlight from the text and. It should be encouraging. It should be something that brings us great hope. Remember the power of God. Remember the power of God. And I get this thought from verses 18 to 21. And it starts out with that familiar text. The birth of Jesus was as follows. And on about Mary. And then she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. If you've ever witnessed to people for very long that have objections to Christianity, this is one of them. How can a virgin have a child? Get a family member. I've witnessed to for years that we've had a lot of discussions about this. That's not possible. And in one sense, the family member is correct. It doesn't happen that way. We understand the created order Normally it takes a male and a female having sexual relations to have a baby, but of course this wasn't a normal birth. It wasn't a fairy tale though. It's not just a story, it is real. And I think for us, if we're not careful, the supernatural aspect of this kind of gets lost in the familiarity. But it displays God's power. God is not limited by the normal natural order. God's not limited by how things normally happen. We have to be careful to recognize that even in this world, just because something doesn't happen that way doesn't mean God can't do it. God is not limited. God at any time in human history has been capable and has exercised His power in ways that defy a rational, scientific, observable explanation. And this is one of them. The other biblical account, one of the other phrases where this happens is in Luke chapter 1. If you were, you don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38, records a lengthy statement and in verse 31 we find that the angel Gabriel was sent to Mary to explain to her what was about to occur. Matthew doesn't deal with these things but that's just because he had a different focus and Gabriel told Mary words in verse 31 continuing you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus and in verse 34 Mary herself asked the obvious question how can this be since I am a virgin? This was a major issue. In other words, it can't happen. 
And Gabriel said something in verse 35 like this. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The angel even mentioned how God had opened Elizabeth's womb so John the Baptist could be born. And in verse 37 of chapter 1 of Luke, you see this phraseology, for nothing will be impossible with God. I think for all of us, that's one of the takeaways from a text like this. Nothing's impossible with God. Every week, we read about and we are confronted with people who are going through serious challenges. There are people in Lakeside right now that are very, very ill. There are people that are going to the hospital unexpectedly. There are people, even at this time of year, who lose their jobs, whose homes are threatened. There are constantly issues in the lives of believers. And at times, if we're not careful and we only look at things from an earthly perspective, it seems like it's out of control and we can become discouraged and lose heart. It's good to remember at those times all of the accounts in the Bible about the power of God. He can intervene for His glory at any time and nothing is impossible with Him. And that should be our hope. It should be a reminder to us at Christmas time as we think about what we're singing about and what we're celebrating that it was God's power on display. Another aspect of this power is seen of God intervening supernaturally to stop a very logical but very wrong course of action by Joseph. In verses 18 to 20, we already read 18, but 19 and 20 makes it clear of something that happened after it was obvious Mary was pregnant. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Again, familiarity is such that we can lose sight of what was going on here. But every time I read this, every time I think about this, Joseph was a remarkable man. Now, according to the text, Joseph and Mary were betrothed, and it says, before they came together, meaning they had not had sexual relations yet. And I'm not a scholar, but you can read and find out very quickly that during this time period, a betrothal was very different than what we have today in the context of engagement. So for that time, a betrothal was generally a one-year period prior to the actual consummation of marriage where a couple were legally together. They were considered for that period, in essence, to be husband and wife, even though they were not yet functioning as husband and wife from a sexual standpoint. And again, at that time, a betrothal was more legally significant than today's engagement. Today, somebody gets engaged and it doesn't guarantee anything. At that time, the only way to get out of a betrothal was through a formal divorce. Whereas in America, an engagement doesn't make a couple a husband and wife. At that time, a betrothal for all intents and purposes did make them a couple. So, for example, and this is an announcement that it seemed like an appropriate time, my daughter Heather got engaged yesterday. 
So she's engaged to be married. Thank you. It's exciting and terrifying at the same time. Not really terrifying. But the point is, she got engaged and we're excited and she has a ring. But legally, that means nothing. It means something to us. But from the eyes of the world, they don't care. And if the marriage, for some reason, didn't go through, nobody would think anything of it. At least in a legal sense. If things were a little bit different at that time. And so Joseph, at that point, once he saw that his wife was pregnant, had a dilemma. How do you get pregnant? We understand. You have sexual relations. And Joseph knows it wasn't me. Now, in the strict interpretation of the Old Testament law, that seems to be pretty good proof of adultery, and she could have been stoned. Mary could have been stoned. There's a biblical account, and if you connect some timelines, I think it fits pretty good. When Mary first found out, at one point Mary went away for three months and saw her cousin Elizabeth. And if you recall, she went there and the baby leapt in her womb because John the Baptist and Jesus, some supernatural way, they knew what was going on. But here was the point. You could imagine if you're engaged and your prospective spouse, your wife, goes away for three months and she comes back with child. What are you going to think? Hmm, that was a bad thing that happened during that three months. And Joseph had no way of knowing anything else. Now it's interesting because rather than being angry and vindictive, he was going to try and let Mary slip out of the scene. He didn't want to disgrace her. That says something about his character. He didn't want to humiliate her, which he could have by rights. He didn't want to hold her up to ridicule and scorn, which he could have, and some of us would have wanted to if we felt wronged. But God's power stepped in again. Because God intervened and he directly sent a message through an angel to Joseph in a dream to let him know everything's okay. This isn't what you think. This is from me. What's interesting is while we know this, it's likely that everybody else still thought bad things. Probably everybody else still was whispering, can you believe she's pregnant? And you can imagine all of that. And yet, God intervened and Joseph listened to the Lord. And he did exactly what God said. And God, in His power, stepped in to not only stop a dissolution of a marriage that didn't need to occur, but to give a man who would have been publicly shamed hope and encouragement that says, ignore it all. This is from me. God showed His power in Jesus' conception. God showed His power even in protecting the relationship of Jesus' earthly parents from scandal and embarrassment and an unwarranted divorce. Again, Joseph responded properly. You have to skip down to verse 24 and 25. But Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And took Mary as a wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeyed. But it was God's power that stepped in to stop everything. It's always important to remember, at this time of year and at every other time of year, God knows everything. And at times, when we look at the world and we think we know what's going on, we really don't. Sometimes we think we've sized up the situation and we know everything, but we don't know everything. 
And God won't necessarily come to us in a dream and tell us otherwise, but we have to make allowances for the fact that at any given point, particularly if we are going through hardship, we may not know everything that's going on from an eternal perspective. But we know this. God's in control and God has the power to protect you no matter what. So the first thing to remember at this time of year, remember the power of God. Second, remember the holiness of God. And I think Lakeside does a better job of emphasizing this than many places I've been because you're blessed, I think, at this church to have many men that are all doing the same thing. They're teaching the Word. And you can't get to Christmas apart from God's holiness. Now, specifically, when we think about Christmas, again, God's holiness doesn't always come into play. You're picturing a little baby in a manger. There's no room for them in the inn and all the stories. And some shepherds that come around. And were there three wise men or was that just three gifts? And were there more people? We have all these images, but the reality is God's holiness is the reason for Christmas. God is holy, we know that. I've been teaching from First Peter. Be holy as God is holy. But again, if you look at the advertisement for Christmas, apart from a church like Lakeside, you don't always see that. And it's all tied up in a very simple statement. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now again, this is a simple phraseology, something you've heard so much that you can almost become numb to it. I know I'm guilty of that at times with very familiar passages. And when I read that verse, I didn't read the word holiness because the word holy is not in that verse, but it's all there. Because God sent Jesus to save His people from their sins. There was a baby born all those years ago because of sin. Not because Mary engaged in sin, but because humanity is steeped in sin. God knew with His holiness there had to be a way to cleanse His children. The Bible makes it clear. You can't stand before a holy God in your sin. And the sin problem permeates humanity such that every single individual on the earth is afflicted with that same sin problem inherited at birth because of the sin of Adam. God is holy. Mankind is sinful. There's a problem because sinful man can't walk into the presence of holy God without dying. The wages of sin is death. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we understand that we can't get rid of our sin ourselves. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Again, we don't always think of all these things at Christmas because it's a cheerful and happy time, but the whole point of Christmas was because of sin. And we understand that that afflicts us as well. We all, I think, can identify when you read the words of the prophet Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am ruined. 
So at Christmas, we don't always think of sin. We don't always think necessarily of God's holiness. We think of a cute picture and a comforting hope. But the reality is, Jesus came to save people from their sins. You know, at the original Jewish people really struggled with that because they wanted to be saved from the Romans. I mean, that's the testimony of the New Testament. They wanted the Romans overthrown. They hated being under slavery. They wanted somebody to come and free them. In fact, throughout their history preceding Jesus' coming, there have been various types of rebellions where revolts were led because people wanted to overthrow the Romans. And so when Jesus came, even amongst his apostles, there was a misunderstanding of these things. The thought was Jesus will become the king and we'll be with the king and things will be great and we'll overthrow and we'll be in charge. And we can look at them and say, wow, they really missed it. And yet, if you look around churches in America today, many churches still miss it. Because they're not preaching a gospel that says you can be saved from your sins. They're being taught a gospel that says you can have the American dream if you add Jesus to the mix. Because you're not happy. Because you're not fulfilled. You can have a better life. You can have a better marriage. You can be a better parent. You'll be a better employee. And all those things should happen if you're a Christian. But that's not the reason to be a Christian. Jesus didn't come for that reason. He came because we are filthy sinners that need a Savior. He came to save His people from their sins because God's holiness mandates it. So let me encourage you, as you talk about Christmas with your kids or your grandkids or your neighbors, at some point remember to talk about why it's there. We've got a familiar chant, and Jesus is the reason for the season. He is, but what's the reason for Jesus? Don't assume people know that. Don't assume they understand that this is all about God's holiness. That's the thing that excites me about tonight's Christmas production. I don't know all of it. I've seen parts of it. It's going to be so gospel-centered. And even in talking about the birth of Jesus, it's going to be talking about the cross, which is what makes it the point of it all. That's why I would encourage you, if you have unbelieving family and friends, even if they won't come to the performance, get them online. Send them a link. So remember the power of God, remember the holiness of God, and finally, and this is the part that, as believers, it gives us great comfort, remember the mercy of God. I have said it before in different contexts, but if you only have God's power and God's holiness without God's mercy, it's really terrifying. Scripture says, terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We praise the Lord that that God who is terrifying is also merciful. Now, verse 22 and 23 makes it clear that this was always God's plan. Now, all this took place to fulfill, spoken by the Lord through the prophet, meaning this is an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled at our present time. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. It means that God was always going to deal with the sin problem by sending a Savior. 
one of the things that used to puzzle me before I was truly saved was when you have the account after Jesus had risen from the dead and he talked to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he revealed to them all about himself in the Old Testament. And I used to think, I want to see that. What did he show them? And then as God saved me and I started going to Bible teaching churches that taught the whole counsel of God, it starts jumping off the pages. You see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Now some people see him where he isn't. They see him under every rock of the Old Testament. But the fact remains, the Old Testament, when you start to read it, you realize everything is pointing towards Jesus and the cross. Titus 3, 4, and 5 sums up an expression of God's mercy that I think is encapsulated by the fact that God sent His Son, the God-man, to deal with this issue. Titus 3, 4, and 5 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the Christmas transaction. God sent His Son to offer us a free gift of His mercy and salvation. I think even though it gets lost, this is really one of the easiest times of the year to share the gospel. Because people expect Christians to say something about Jesus. And we can go beyond just, hey, there's a little baby in a manger, isn't that cute? We can explain why there was a baby in a manger. We can explain why he came to the earth. And we can show them that in the midst of a world that every day looks like it's more out of control, with dangers everywhere, from nuclear issues in North Korea to chaos in the Middle East, there is a God who's in control who showed mercy to sinful humans like us. In fact, it's a great time to talk to people because we're the only ones that have a worldview that makes sense of everything. Why is everything crazy? Sin. What's the solution? Better president? No. Better politicians? No. What's the solution? Individual hearts being born again. That's it. There is no corporate solution of let's make a better world. No, it's individual. Let me show you the gospel, so that God can give you a new heart. So let me encourage you. Again, if you have children, make sure you're drilling that in. If you have grandkids, make sure that that's being communicated to them at Christmas. Enjoy giving the gifts. Enjoy eating the food. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the celebrations. Enjoy the movies. But in your own heart of hearts, constantly remind yourself of what it really is all about. Don't let us get sucked into the American system that takes away the true power of this special day. So focus on yourself, first and foremost, your heart, and then those around you can be impacted. So let me close this time in prayer. We have plenty of time for our small group prayer. If you're visiting with us, we just divide into groups. Join whatever group's close to you. But for everybody else, you sort of know where you're going and we can have some time to pray. So, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. 
Lord, the familiarity of your word is a comfort in one sense, shows that we've been putting your word in our hearts and that we're in a church that teaches the word and that we are amongst the people that believe the word. But Lord, the significance at times can be lost in the familiarity. So I pray for myself and I pray for my family and I pray for my brothers and sisters here in the Faith Builders class that your purpose of sending Jesus to this earth would not be lost on us this holiday season. Lord, we have a lot of Christmas-type activities between now and December 25th, the day that we just mark on a calendar to celebrate Christ's birth. Lord, we're going to have countless interactions with other people, some believers, some unbelievers. I pray that you would put in our hearts a reminder of the significance of all of this, of your power, of your holiness, of your mercy. And I pray that perhaps more this year than any other, we might be those who proclaim why Christmas even exists. It's not just a holiday. It's not just things. It's about a baby named Jesus who would save his people from their sins. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.